This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 173. Today on our show, it's all about LaSwordsville Lake slash Americana Amusement Park. Well, fire started in an area called Stardust Garden, and that was the uh, major dance hall area. And during the wintertime, and this fire happened in January, that building was stuffed full of rides, parts, and, and pieces of rides, and storage, and paperwork, and just anything it could stuff in there during the winter. Scott Fowler is a historian and former employee of the old amusement park that was located where Route 63 meets Route 4 there in Monroe, Ohio. We discuss the history of the park, his memories of working there, the opening of the competing fantasy farm next door, and a whole lot more. If you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code for 20% off at the end of the episode. Now let's talk to Scott Fowler about LaSwordsville Lake and Americana. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I-Cincinnati. Once in a while, I'm One place we'd like to start is uh, since you're, you know, from Southwest Ohio, Greater Cincinnati. Are you from the area? I am. I grew up in uh, Fairfield and went to school in uh, the Dayton area and lived up there for a while, and now I'm back in the Fairfield area. Okay, so we can technically ask you what high school, even though it was Dayton. I went to I went to uh, Sinclair College in Dayton. Okay, all right. Uh, so, but what high school did you go to? I went to Fairfield. Oh, okay, and then what? Oh, then you went to college in Dayton. I see. Okay, right, right. Very good, very good. All right, cool. And uh, so, what started your interest? I guess in uh, La Swordsville Lake and Americana. I mean, I reckon you probably went there as a kid. Uh, actually, I think it may have went there once as a kid. Uh, it wasn't until like the late 70s, I was in high school, when I got a job at the Swordsville. I didn't really think much of it at the time, because, you know, when you're 16, 17, you could really care less about things like that. Hmm. I just wanted a job, make some money, having fun, that type thing. But I stayed there until the early 80s, and one of the places I worked was the main restaurant right off the main entrance. And that building had been built in 1934. And um, part of my job working in the restaurant was to carry these catering baskets upstairs to the attic for storage. And since I was usually the only guy around, I got the uh, I got elected to do that job. So once I got up in that attic, it was like, oh, I'm taking a break. And I was sitting there. I would look at the architecture of the building and the structure because I'd always been interested in in uh, architecture. And I kind of got interested in the history of the building and from there it went from history to the park and it just kind of expanded from there. 
Okay. So let's uh, go back. Um, I know a little bit about the history of the park, but uh, maybe you can walk us through it in, in more detail. Uh, of course, the original name was La Swordsville Lake. I know that. But when did it open? How far back does it go? Well, it actually opened in 1922, but it was a uh, recreational park. It only had uh, swimming, uh, some camping. Uh, you could rent a tent. Uh, later, they had cabins and um, picnics. They had a nice picnic grove, and then they added a dance hall, and then around uh, 1934, the owner, Edgar Streetow, took on a partner by the name of Don Daisy, and those two hit it off, and Daisy uh, implemented uh, putting in more rides and becoming a full-fledged amusement park. So that relationship lasted until 1959 when Daisy died, and Edgar was forced to sell the park. They had initiated a major remodeling plan, thanks in part to one particular park in the country. You have any idea what that park may have been? That might have been Disneyland. That was it. <laughs> Every park in the country had to have some type of remodeling program because now the public's perception of what a amusement park looked like changed, and the Swordsville was no exception. So they had taken out some loans to handle that expansion or the remodeling. So the banks got nervous and recalled loans in. Edgar couldn't afford to pay them off, so he put up the park for sale. And in 1960, uh, park ownership changed, and that's when things really took off. Uh, more rides were brought in. Uh, a lot of the uh, lake was filled in to make room for more rides. And uh, that continued up until 1990, and the park suffered a uh, $5 million-plus fire that um, interns wouldn't cover the total expense. So Park kind of went limping along and um, ended up going bankrupt that year. Switched to another company that was actually former park management uh, from the former owner. They ran the park up until about 95. And then in 96, the owners of Coney Island bought the park. And uh, that went until 2000. And then it changed hands again to uh, Jerry Couch, and he was forced to close the park after the 2002 season. So let's um, go back to the kind of the beginnings, uh, a couple of things of note. It sounds like Lasordsville Lake is a very similar uh, history to Geauga Lake in Cleveland, in that it seems in the 20th century, like in the early 20th century, you've got two different kinds of parks. You have what are called the trolley parks, which are located in right. cities and are on trolley lines. And then you've got parks like... Jogga Lake and Lasordsville Lake, they're outside of the big city. And was there a train line that went out there from Cincinnati or Dayton? Because that's what in Jogga Lake, there was a big a train line that came out from Cleveland and went all the way out to Youngstown. So that's how people would get off the train and just go to the amusement park. Is that kind of how Lasordsville Lake was? It was. There is uh, train tracks that literally go through the entrance to the park. And um, a lot of companies like uh, Armco and Middletown would have Armco Day and they would take their people down to the park with the train. A couple other companies in the Middletown area did that as well, but it was primarily a vehicle park. They had to expand the parking lot several times um, in the 30s and 40s to uh, handle the crowd. Well, sure, as, as uh, the demographics of America were changing. So speaking of that, and you'd, you'd mentioned that actually the folks at Coney Island had owned the park for a little bit, but not until the 2000s. Backing up to like around World War II and post-World War II, 
it, the, the, the park, the two parks probably didn't compete a whole bunch simply because there was no interstate highway system yet. So was it, did La Sorge like kind of have their audience there up, up north and then Coney Island kind of had the, the city of Cincinnati to itself? Is that kind of how it worked? Yeah, it, it pretty much was a niche, but there were a lot of people from Dayton that uh, went down to La Swordsville, even though Dayton had uh, Lakeside Park and Frankie's Forest Park. Oh, I didn't know that. Cincinnati Park. I'm sorry? I didn't know that. What two parks were in Dayton? Dayton had several amusement parks, not necessarily operating at the same time, but their biggest one was Lakeside. Uh, that was on the west side of Dayton, off of uh, 35. And Frankie's Forest Park was in the north part of the city, and it operated till about 1958, 59. I am... They had a couple of smaller parks back in the 20s and 30s and 40s. Okay, I'm jotting these down because we have a sister site, Old School Shirts, and we have a Dayton page. So, uh, oh. and amusement parks do very well for us uh, on both Cincy shirts and old school shirts. So I'm going to write those down and look those up later and send them off to our designers. Um, so, just to give people an idea, because I know I've been by, I, I was went to Amer- when it was Americana, actually, only once since I've lived here, since 1994. And then I forgot where it was at exactly, and I ended up driving by it by accident. We were out visiting my wife's friend who lives out in the area. So, to give people an idea, where is the park property uh, located? It's located on State Route 4, about a few miles north of Hamilton and a few miles south of Middletown. It's actually in the city of Monroe. Um, oh, okay. And it's at uh, Route 63. Oh, okay. Oh, that's how, okay, that makes sense because we were probably at the uh, casino and then went to my wife's friend's place. And we probably took 63 oh, yeah. until it ran into 4, and it's right there. And we were like, oh, this is here. Um, okay. Well, that's cool. So, when in the park's heyday, was it similar in size to Coney? Was it bigger than Coney? How did it compare to the the, the parks of the day? Uh, it was probably about the same size of Coney. Parks back in the day pretty much had the same rides. Uh, when they brought in outside entertainment, it'd pretty much be the same entertainment. There wasn't really that much difference between the park. The sword once Coney Island closed and. Um, in Kings Island opened, that actually benefited the Swordsville because they didn't have that competition going on with Coney at that point. But just for those few years, or did Kings Island eventually become a problem because it was one of these new newfangled parks? The rumor always is, oh, uh, Kings Island killed uh, Americana, but that's that's certainly not true. Mer- uh, the sword I use La Swordsville and Americana interchangeably. Sure. So yeah, sorry yeah. if I go back and forth. Oh no, I think people but, know. Uh, Americana really benefited from Kings Island in a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of people did not like Kings Island because of the size, and they could feel more safe taking their kids to Americana because it was smaller and more contained, and you pretty much could let your kids go and not have to worry about them. Ah, oh, okay. And then you had the price, of course. A lot of people couldn't afford to get into Kings Island and take um, take their kids, so uh, that also benefited Americana also. Okay. And so what kind of rides were there? You said they mostly had the same rides. But I, so I guess thinking back in the day, you know, you have your uh, your roller coaster, you have, uh, I mean, I guess log flumes came along more in the 50s and 60s. Uh, but what were kind of some of the, the top attractions that people remember from the La Swordsville Lake days? Well, the number one attraction had to have been the uh, wood roller coaster. 
Originally, it was called the Cyclone. Some people knew it as a space rocket, but uh, most people today remember it as the Screeching Eagle. And that uh, that was actually a used coaster. It came from southeast Ohio from a park that went out of business. And uh, Basordsville bought that coaster, brought it to um, Monroe, and kind of changed the configuration of it a little bit, but it became an um, international classic. Aha. Uh-huh. And was it... Uh, and John- then- Who's the guy that designed all the big coasters? John John Allen, I think, was the guy's name. Was it one, one of his coasters, or uh... at close? It was John Miller. John Miller. There we go. Yep. Okay. Yeah, he had designed a uh, a lot of coasters throughout the Midwest. I know uh, Kennywood Park in Pittsburgh still has his Thunderbolt running. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's interesting. Well, that, that's an example of a, um, I guess it was a trolley park that is had managed to remain open uh, where, you know, Arconi Island and Cleveland's Euclid Beach and all the other parks kind of uh, went under. I guess probably there wasn't any other regional competition for Kennywood. That's why they've been able to, to stay as successful as they are. So did you get more and more interested when you were working there in the history of the park? And did you, were you still, were you there on your off hours or once you were done working where you were like, ah, oh, that's enough of this place? <laughs> well, as an employee, you were there, you know, anywhere eight, 10 hours a day. So some days they would let you go early and you would go home because you were just, you were just tired. But, um, it was a lot of hours and, but it was a really good place to work and you got a lot of perks out of it. And employee parties, and you wouldn't get free food unless you work in one of the food establishments. But it still was a pretty good place to work. So you worked there a lot of summers. Uh, no, I was just there for a couple summers from late seventies to early eighties. Okay, I mean, but did you and did you keep going because you stayed in the area? So did you go to the park often or a couple times a year? Or? Well, a few years later, I got married and had kids, and I brought my kids back to the park. Okay. And so we we kind of took pictures of certain landmarks in the park through the years. So it's kind of interesting to go back and see when they were five, six, seven years old and, and uh, how they kind of grew up in that same spot each year. And uh, so when did the park become Americana? I can't remember. I think when I moved here, it was already Americana or had a it had just changed names to Americana. Yeah, in the spring of uh, 1978. Okay, was it way after? Oh, okay, then it was, it was much later then. I thought for some reason. Didn't it switch yeah. back to Lasordsville for a time, though? Am I mistaken? When, when Jerry Couch bought the park in 2000, he wanted to um, kind of change the park back into a more traditional amusement park back to its heyday back in the in the 40s and 50s. Okay. So he did change the name of the park back to the Swordsville Lake. Okay. And the 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 catastrophic fire happens again in what year? Nineteen ninety. Okay, so that was before uh, we moved here. Uh, so what what was the damage? What all? Because I know up in if you might be familiar with Idora Park in Youngstown, was another successful park until its main attraction, the Wildcat Roller Coaster, was destroyed by a fire in May of nineteen eighty four. And that pretty much killed the park. And it probably could have survived a lot longer because, again, no real competition around it. But losing its major ride really set it back. So so what actually happened at Americana at that time? 
But fire started in an area called Stardust Gardens, and that was the uh, major dance hall area. And that area was attached to a bathhouse, which served well, one time when you swam in the lake and then later when they added a swimming pool. And during the winter time, and this fire happened in January, that building was stuffed full of rides parts and and pieces of rides and storage and paperwork and just anything it could stuff in there during the winter. So uh fire started from an electrical short underneath the floor of dance area. And because this building had been built in 1934, it was solid dry wood and it went up like a tinderbox. So that was destroyed. A lot of the, uh, uh, some of the rides that were stored in there were destroyed. There really wasn't much left by the time they got done. And what else was damaged? But that was it. I know it doesn't sound like $5 million, but when you consider there was probably three or four rides that were stored in that building. Ah, uh, okay. So it wasn't so much the building, the building it was itself. the stuff that was in it that really hurt. Right. Uh, okay. So had but the dance hall been empty, um, had the dance hall been empty, it probably would have been no big deal. It just, you know, bulldoze the wreckage and, and and off we go. Right. If it happened during the summer, it probably wouldn't have been that bad. Ah, okay. So what happens to the park from there? It's it's able to open, but what's what are kind of the, the effects of this? Well, they opened, and um, they had to get the uh, union's permission to not pay them right away because they needed to get the park uh, finished and opened up in time for spring, which I think they opened up like a week later than what they anticipated, which was pretty good considering. And they built food court in the place of the bathhouse. The park opened up, and because this is around 1990, so... They were experiencing some hiring issues because schools were changing schedules. Students weren't available like they were before. So they went to uh, Mexico to one of the colleges and started recruiting students at this college to help out during the summer. And they built a dorm for them uh, outside the park so they could stay in. I guess on paper it, it was a pretty good plan because Kings Island did it like 10 years later with no issues. Oh. Uh, but Merrick was kind of ahead of the game on that one. And um, unfortunately, it didn't work out because the students complained about living conditions and items that were taken out of their check that weren't supposed to. And they called the media and the media came in and, and they did all these, these negative stories on the park. So attendance started dipping. And then when the unions found out about how they were supposedly treating these employees, they started canceling their picnics. And uh, company picnics are the lifeblood of any park, including place like Kings Island. Yeah. Um, company picnics is what pays the bills. So once they start canceling, the park was just losing money left and right at that point. So they had to go bankrupt at the end of 1990. So in 91, they had um, four former park management people take over the park. They had great ideas. They just didn't have enough capital to, to keep bringing in new rides. So... Coney bought them out, and um, Coney had the plan of having a North Park and a South Park. And I can't remember the guy's name that was the that was the head of Coney at the time. Um, in any event, he died in the second year of ownership. And for whatever reason, 
um, his wife, who had taken over the company, didn't like the idea of keeping Americana. So she had it put up for sale, and then it sold in 1990, basically out of desperation, to a uh, local businessman who had no experience operating amusement parks. He just knew what he liked and, and what he wanted Americana to go back to be. And so he hired a um, company that had gone bankrupt about a year or two before, and the company operated um, operated like a carnival because that's pretty much all they knew, and it just didn't work out too well. And they didn't get along with the owner, and the owner wanted this, and they wouldn't cooperate. It was a huge mess. The owner spent a few million on his own uh, improving the park, and it just there was just too much for him. So, end of the year, he closed it down. Had plans to reopen it, but it just never materialized. So, and who was the last owner of the park then, as when it, as an amusement park? That was Jerry Couch. Okay, he was a um, this businessman that owned a uh, camper sales. That's right. Company. Yeah, yeah. And he moved his company out to the front part of the park, and his goal was to have the nation's only camper sales business with its own amusement park. But and that, then he actually ended up buying Fantasy Farm Amusement Park, which was located right next door. That was my next question. And <laughs> he, he was going to make that into a uh, campground, but the uh, city wouldn't rezone it for him. So he kind of gave up things after that. So let's talk about Fantasy Farm. Uh, when does that come along? Fantasy Farm was created in 1963 by the former owner of Swordsville, Edgar Streetow. And uh, when he sold the, the Swordsville in 1960, he still owned this land next door. And because he was kind of forced out by the banks of his uh, ownership, he was still um, itching to operate an amusement park. So he figured, why not open one next door? Huh. Which was probably a crazy thing to do, but... He was uh, gearing his park towards small kids. So it was d- different in from Swordsville, like in that it, it, it had probably smaller rides and was a little more uh, kid-friendly, kind of like um, like Holiday World in Indiana, uh, for folks familiar, is predominantly for smaller kids, though they do have some big coasters and a big water park. Uh, for years and years, I guess that was kind of the, a similar thing. It was geared more toward little ones as opposed to uh, teenagers and, and young adults. Well, you would think so, but Edgar was a pretty shrewd businessman. <laughs> he said it was geared for small kids, but in his early years, he would bring in large rides. That started a long-standing feud between the owners of Swordsville and Edgar. Uh, they would end up in court every few years, complaining just on little stuff that each each one was doing. Swordsville tried to get Fantasy Farm closed down. Fantasy Farm opened up a swimming pool in 1963 and was ordered to close it because of a non-compete clause that Edgar had signed that he wouldn't operate an amusement park for 10 years. So the whole thing had to close or just the pool? Uh, just the pool. Okay. So how long was did uh, did Fantasy Farm continue on? Uh, Edgar owned it until 82, and he sold it to a um, carnival operator by the name of Bill Johnson. Mm-hmm. Then Bill operated it until 80, 
one when he finally closed it down because of um, insurance costs. He couldn't afford to keep operating it. Okay. And so what's on that land now? Well, today, Butler Tech, which is a major um, vocational adult school here in Butler County, they bought what used to be Americana's parking lot and the old fancy farm site. And the um, old dorm that Americana used to house those Mexican students uh, was transformed into uh, part of their campus. Okay. And what are it, what about the Americana proper? What's didn't, didn't that get turned into? Is that a, a big city park or a county park now? Yeah. What used to be Americana Music Park is now called Bicentennial Commons Park. It's owned by the city of Monroe, and pretty much everything there has been leveled. Uh, there's a few things that were saved, and it's going to be part of a um, long-range plan to make this a major uh, city park down the road. Uh, eventually, it should have an amphitheater, kids' splash pad, uh, fishing lake. They just started building a um, walkway to try and uh, open the park this fall. They're going to have, what is the name of that? It's the regional um, bikeway. That runs from oh, the field all the way up to the, Detroit. The Miami Bike Trail? Yes, the Miami Bike Trail. Oh, okay. It is going to go through the property, and they should be starting construction on that here anytime. Interesting. Okay. So if you go there now, can you see any remnants of Americana at all? The only thing you'd really be able to see, the old Skyride station still stands. It's going to be part of probably some type of shelter uh, along the walkway. And then the uh, Parks Administration building that was built after the 1995, it's supposedly going to be used for um, Monroe's uh, Recreation Department and hopefully a uh, permanent museum for uh, Americana. Oh, neat. Well, that's nice that that's going to live on. The whole park is being constructed using grants for the most point, uh, most part. So it's not going to be, park's not going to be finished anytime soon. It could be 10, 15 years down the road before they finish this thing. Well, it's good they still have a, a direction, though, because I don't know if you if you follow the amusement park world or if you just are concentrated on Lasoresville slash Americana, but up in Cleveland with Geauga Lake, of course, that land is sat empty for years. Uh, some of the park buildings are still up, and there's been a lot of debate about what to do with it. And, you know, some people, they're going to create a mixed-use development, but they're really people are really pressing to have the history of the park retained. And it sounds like at least they're doing that in Lasoresville and Americana, where they're kind of having a bit of trouble up in Cleveland getting that pushed through to kind of honor the history of uh, Geauga Lake. So, I mean, that's, that's got to be a, a pretty positive thing, at least even though the, the park's no longer there. Well, I was really glad the city took over the property. And then I heard their initial plans of how they're going to kind of honor the memory of Americana. They're going to have plaques throughout the walkway kind of indicating like where the coaster was, oh, where neat. the uh, large carousel was, and kind of points of interest along that um, line. So that'll be kind of cool. And um, the picnic shelters that were there when the park operated are all still there. Um, they're going to end up being used and, and rented out to residents so 
That's cool. Do you know what happened to some of the signature rides? Like, because often in these cases, the uh, they're usually sold to other parks. Although some of them don't. That doesn't end up with some rides. Uh, what what happened to some of the signature rides in Americana? Well, the Screeching Eagle roller coaster. It was a wood structure, and there was a plan to try and move that to another park. However, the cost to do it and the insurance involved and the cost to uh, take apart uh, piece by piece and number it, the labor involved, it was just way too much. So unfortunately, that was torn down in 2011. But um, the park's other iconic roller coaster, that was the uh, Serpent. It was a little uh, steel figure eight coaster. It's now operating up at Saginaw, Michigan at Kokomo's. It's a family uh, little amusement park up in Saginaw, which is pretty cool. And uh, Coney had purchased uh, two or three rides after the park had closed down. And now that Coney doesn't have rides anymore, those rides have been sold off. So I'm not sure where those rides went. And then um, Stricker's Grove, which is located just south of Ross, oh, there yeah. on um, 27. Yep. Uh, they they have two rides from Americana. One's the uh, Swinging Ship, and the other one is called the Electric Rainbow. Okay. Well, good for those folks. Uh, do you make it out to Stricker's Grove very often? I know it's mostly used for uh, private events, and I think they used to, for years and years, be open, I think, to the public on – it was either 4th of July or Labor Day or both. I don't actually recall. I went out there once to do a story for them on them for uh Cincy magazine and uh the g- lovely folks. Yeah, Stricker's Grove is is um kind of like a miniature the Swordsville. They have a really great facility and uh, it's great that they put those rides in there. Yeah, we should uh, get those folks on the podcast. I, I remember the first time I saw it, we were driving up to Oxford. And if you look over from 27, you can see the coaster. And you're <laughs> like, wait a minute, is that a roller coaster in the middle of a farm? And then I, I looked it up later. I'm like, oh, it's a little miniature amusement park. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's really yeah, a Fourth of July, like the first weekend in August and then again in October uh, to the public. OK, that's right. Yeah. Um, and they have a, I know they have a roller coaster and it sounds like they've added some, uh, some more rides there. It's been years since I did that article. When I was out there, they had a couple, but the big ride was the, the coaster. And of course they have a, a lot of picnic rounds because again, it's the, most of their money, like you said, a lot of parks, their bread and butter is corporate and private events. That's really all Stricker Grove's business. That's probably about 95% of their business. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, when did you decide to start the Facebook group? Well, it kind of goes back to, uh, I've written um, two books on, uh, one on the Swordsville Lake and one on Fantasy Farm. And um, that was done about the same time I formed the Facebook groups. And that was mainly just a promotional tool to use. But it has caught on so much that I don't even promote the books anymore. I I'm spend more of my time trying to keep people updated with what's going on. So the Facebook page is, is pretty popular to the point that we had to bring back our our uh, website here recently at theswordsvillelake.com. That kind of uh, reaches out to the other audience that doesn't have Facebook. So Okay. So what can folks find on the theswordsvillelake.com website? Are photos, uh, memories, things of that nature? Um, the uh, same photos 
are, I try to be different photos than what I have in the books. But some things it's kind of tough because you just don't have the um, variety of photos available. Yeah, that's tough. Do you, via the Facebook group, have you been able to collect uh, stuff you otherwise wouldn't have been able to get your hands on uh, earlier as far as old photos of the park and stuff? Yeah, it has been helpful from that uh, aspect. Um, I'm actually working on a updated Swordsville book that will probably be out sometime next year at this time. And um, to be able to pull that off, I've got to use pictures that I have not used in the in the previous book. So I'm getting a lot of, I don't want to say contributions, but basically they are photo contributions of um, photos that people had that they want to contribute and be part of that book. So that's working out pretty good. And is it mostly just updated photographs, or are you finding new stories and uh, people sharing new memories of the of the parks? Basically going to be the same format as the existing book. It'll have 100 and about 175 pictures or so, and then there'll be um, extended captions along with each photo and a intro into each chapter. Okay. And are you interested in amusement parks in general, or is it strictly La Swordsville and, and Fantasy Farm and, and Americana? These days, well, at one point I was researching uh, history on parks throughout Ohio, and uh, that got to be a, a full-time job. So <laughs> I went and just concentrated on southwestern Ohio. And matter of fact, I still have a, a Facebook page out there dedicated to that. It's called the... Um, Southwest Ohio Amusement Park Historical Society, and it's a virtual organization. There's no dues or anything. It's just a Facebook page. That got to be almost a full-time job because from my research, there were at least 18 amusement parks in Southwest Ohio. Wow. Including uh, the Swordsville and Coney, yeah. Kings Island. Do you include Dayton in that or just since, since in like Middletown and below? Um, no, it includes Dayton. Okay. Dayton had five parks in its history. Indian Lake, just above Dayton, was my cutoff okay. at that point. Huh. The only ones I know of, of course, are Coney, Kings Island, the Swordsville Lake. Uh, there was a Luna Park. It seems like every city in America had a Luna Park, because, again, on our old school site, we have at least, I think Kansas City had one. Uh, Seattle might have had one. I think Cleveland had one. I think Pittsburgh had one. Luna Park, very popular name for and there was one on the west side of Cincinnati. Uh, what were some of the other big ones that people of a certain age might remember or might remember hearing about? Well, like I mentioned before, Dayton had Lakeside, and... Um it was open until about 1964, and then Frankie's Forest Park closed down around 1959. So after that, their only alternative was really the Swordsville Lake or Coney. Cincinnati had, um, at one point, Coney's biggest competition was Chester Park. Uh, it closed down in the early 30s, but it was a uh, major amusement park for its time. And then there was another park in northern Kentucky whose name escapes me because it's not oh, part yeah. of my research uh, domain. I think it was in La- research domain. Latonia, maybe? Oh, Ludlow. Ludlow. I always get those confused. <laughs> Apologies to our yeah, Northern Kentucky it was, listeners. It was in Ludlow, but I, I forget the exact Okay, name. yeah, yeah. I know, I know what you're talking about. Though. And where was Chester Park located? Chester Park was located on the 
uh, I guess we'll call it the west side of 75 near, um, oh, you caught me off guard on this one. It's near Spring Grove Cemetery. Okay. Cincinnati Waterworks is now on the site, and they actually have a little uh, memorial inside their lobby of their waterworks building uh, with photos from the park. Oh, neat. Okay. And uh, you said that one closed in the 1930s. Yes. Ironically, they couldn't pay their water bills, so they got foreclosed <laughs> off. So I know this isn't exactly southwest Ohio, it's northern Kentucky, and the park never actually got built, but do you have anything on uh, the the ill-fated uh, frontier world of Fess Parker? Oh, yeah. No, I never did research on that. It always seemed interesting, though. I'm kind of surprised they didn't go through with it, but I guess they were too intimidated by Kings Island. Uh, that's how the story goes. It's funny. We reached out to those folks. Um, he eventually went into the wine business. Well, he once he gave up here, they were going to build one in Northern California, and that didn't work out. But instead, they used that land that they bought there to build his winery. And I reached out to them because we were going to try to find assets to try to make uh, T-shirts. And uh, they were very nice. And they said, we, we don't have anything in, in our art. There were no drawings. There were no even proposed logos for Frontier World. We didn't even get that far with it. So they didn't have anything for us. But uh, we were really dying to make some Frontier World t-shirts. And for those folks who don't know, uh, Frontier World was going to be a park uh, where 71 and 75 split and 71 goes off to Louisville and 75 goes south to Lexington right in that area. I guess that's wilder. And there was going to be a big amusement park there. And then uh, but Kings Island, they did, the Coney people that owned Coney decided to open. Well, I guess it was Taft Communications at that point decided to open mm-hmm. Kings Island, and uh, that was that was a little bit too much for Mr. Parker, and he decided to uh, fold his cards and uh, head back to California. Yeah. Well, speaking of Cincy shirts, I'm also um, I work as a curator for the Monroe Historical Society. Oh, cool! And. We've got a temporary exhibit dedicated to a Swordsville and Fancy Farm uh, in our main museum. And uh, one of our uh, items is a, um, I thought it was an original shirt because it looked old, but then I saw Cincy shirts on it, and I thought, oh, I know who that is. Huh. Yeah, we do have an Americana but, uh, shirt. Yeah, we have Fantasy Farm, we yeah. have Americana, and I think we have a Swordsville Lake shirt. The, the yeah, I think it's using a newer logo, but yeah, that's probably. Oh, we should probably should probably update that with the older logo uh, as well. We've been open for the exhibit on a museum's only open on the uh, first Saturday of every month through October, from ten or from eleven to two. So it's kind of a limited time to uh, see the exhibit, but it's been uh, uh, received pretty nice. Some people, uh, a lot of great comments, and it is it is chock full of stuff, literally. Cool. From, um, from floor to ceiling, and it also uh, has a wall dedicated to Fantasy Farm. And where can folks find that? Where's where's that located? Uh, the Monroe Museum is located. I, I'll loosely say downtown Monroe, but it's right off of Cincinnati Dayton Road and. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're kind of where the, um, there's a couple of things there. Because if you go west away from the casino and the McDonald's and all that, you'll run into that yeah. intersection. Okay. And uh, isn't yeah. is there an ice cream parlor there, or am I thinking of something? No, that's the one in Westchester. I get those two areas confused. I'm sorry. You're probably thinking of the fantasy diner and ice cream parlor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly that's right. 
That's at the old restaurant at the old Fantasy Farm Park. Oh, okay. You uh, you were saying um, that you were kind of a historian on Southwest Ohio parks, but now you've kind of just dialed it back and are just concentrating on Fantasy Farm and Americana. You, you have any other plans to maybe rekindle the interest in the other Ohio parks or other parks around the country? Uh, to tell you the truth, I don't think I have time. <laughs> I hear you. Um, my uh, time with the Swordville and Fantasy Farm are just, uh, we've got such a feedback uh, on a regular basis that I just find myself spending too much time dealing with that. So I would love to, you know, finish researching the other parks, but just don't have the time. Yeah. Well, it's good though because you can concentrate on you know those two and then get a kind of a, a detailed view of that. There's um, and there's a, a Facebook page you may be familiar with called Defunct Land. It's really popular. It concentrates on all the parks, uh, I believe, in the U.S. Maybe Canada. And uh, it's yeah, this is a full time job for this guy too. He does YouTube videos and things like that. So for folks out there that mm-hmm. are interested in such, uh, recommended you check out Defunct Land. We tried to um get him to advertise and let us post some t-shirts on his site and he never got back to us so just to give you an idea how busy he is so um and yeah. so what do you say your day job is you're a historian or are you just a historian in addition to being an author and you, you still have a regular day job well i'm retired from full-time work so this i don't get paid for this job uh but i'm on the board of the monroe historical society and uh one of the openings was curator and i had uh, somewhat experience doing that for another historical society I thought, oh, why not? It's a pretty good gig, so I can't complain. There you go. And you're staying busy, so that's a good thing. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, sure. All right. Well, terrific. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Learned a lot about Lesswardsville Lake and Americana and some of the other parks uh, around the area. I don't know if you've listened to our show before, but as the guest, uh, our final order of business involves you choosing a coupon code for the listeners, and they'll be able to use this for the next week that the show is up. And they can use it to take 20% off their entire Cincy shirts or oldschoolshirts.com order. Uh, so what would you like that coupon code to be? It could be a, a word or a short phrase. Uh, what would you like that to be? I believe I ought to keep it simple, I guess. How about Americana 1922? Americana 1922. Perfect. All right. It fits well with uh, the Memorial Day coming up here. Well, great. Um, we may reach out to you, too, to see if you have any other, like, logos or assets, because you're saying we're using the updated Lesswardsville Lake. I'm sure um, the uh, the designers would be interested in probably coming up with a, a more retro and classic Lesswardsville Lake uh, design as well, because it's still, you know, very popular and a lot of fond memories for folks in the area, certainly. Yeah, I could probably send you some of the old uh, logos. They're not uh, that exciting. They do have a script one that's kind of cool. Yeah, well, that could, that's what that's what people uh, would dig. Well, great. And again, so folks, easily easy to find on Facebook. That's how I found you, Lasordsville Lake uh, Americana. Just type that into your Facebook search; it'll come right up. And then the, you said the website is LasordsvilleLake dot com or is it Americana dot com? I've already forgotten. Lesordsvillelake.com. Lesordsvillelake.com. Terrific. Well, great, Scott. I appreciate you doing this and taking the time to, to fill us in on all this. And uh, have a all great right. have, have a great holiday weekend. And have a great, yeah, terrific. And great talking to you. Have a great holiday weekend and a great summer. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Scott Fowler, 
Yeah, some fun memories there of Lasourzville Lake and Americana. Uh, I believe also this is the second week in a row we've used the Ramones, uh, first time that's happened. Uh, and I think we've used this song before, although I don't remember discussing any other amusement parks in detail with any of our previous 172 guests. But we are trying to get some folks on to discuss Kings Island. Uh, we will get back to you. If you know anybody that is an expert, please let us know. The guy we're trying to find is a little hard to get a hold of. In any case, just go to all those websites that Scott mentioned, uh, the Facebook page and all that stuff for Lasourzville Lake and Americana, and you'll be all caught up on those. And I uh, reckon his books are available at Amazon or your local bookstore, wherever you get your books. And now if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, simply email us podcast at cincyshirts.com and you tell us about the person in a couple of sentences why you think they'd be a good guest or you can volunteer yourself we had, we had a few people do that the uh, green township historical society guy oh and by the way anybody from anderson township that would like to be on the show to discuss the history we've had a devil of a time finding someone to be on the show uh, billy is from here i've lived here since 94 uh, we could do it ourselves i would rather have an expert so if you know somebody that would like knows all about anderson township or, or any of the communities in the tri-state for that matter Again, email us podcast at cincyshirts.com, put podcast guest in the subject line, and let us know what you know. Now, be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, of course, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state area. And if you haven't already, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. Like I mentioned, 172 of them back there for you to enjoy. Today's show is produced by me with all from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, and tons more at OldSchoolShirts.com. We have lots of defunct teams, like old football and hockey teams, soccer, old shopping malls, restaurants, uh, you name it. Like Cincy shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is Americana1922. All one word, all lowercase, all uppercase, that part does not matter. You can even mix and match uppercase, lowercase, that doesn't matter either. But more importantly, you're going to use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. We have a lot of old amusement parks uh, and old school shirts, by the way. Or you can go into Over the Rhine or Hyde Park or two stores there, and you can use the promo code in person. It'll give you 20% off there, including 20% off a print-on-demand shirt at OTR. It works for that, too. All right. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest in T-shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye. I wish I said goodbye.